You're listening to Right Where You Are, hosted by New York Times bestselling author, creator, and speaker, Jason Wright. With inspiring guest interviews and Jason's unique lens on life, this is the place to see the good in the world, to lift and be lifted, no matter your starting point, to make a difference that matters. And we'll do it all together, right where you are. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome back to Right Where You Are. This is Jason Wright, of course, your host. And thank you, sincerely, thank you for being here. I probably don't say this enough, but I do not take your time for granted, either my audience or my wonderful guests, including today's. Uh, And I I promise I will never take uh, your time for granted. All right, as we launch today's interview, I want to remind you, please rate and review the show wherever you're listening, Spotify, Audible, Apple, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's so important to help our community grow. It grows when we talk about it. So I'm always thankful when you talk about it. Friends, you're going to recognize today's guest for her work on screen. In fact, my my kids, my daughters in particular, are just so starstruck right now that I'm chatting with today's guest. And she also has a, a brand new Christmas movie, which we'll talk about in a minute. And everyone knows that I love Christmas movies. She is an actress, a dancer, a singer, an entrepreneur, a philanthropist. But I suspect that the biggest difference that our guest today wants to make in the world probably has nothing to do with her new film or a certain high school musical franchise. It's about living better, being better, and being the change that this world so desperately needs. Her name is Monique Coleman, and I am so honored she's on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. That was a really beautiful intro. Thank you. Uh, well, you're you're a beautiful person, and I inside and out, and I can't I can't wait to introduce the audience to some of the good things you're doing. But we always have to start with like the very beginning. Do you remember the first time as a as a child, as a toddler, when you sang or stood on stage or stepped behind a camera and thought to yourself? I think this could be my thing. Like, I think this could be the way that I take my voice to the world. How old were you? That was, that's an, that's actually very true. I was in third grade and I had a teacher named Miss Tanya Jones who pulled my mother aside and said, uh, I really think that your daughter is an artist. And that came because I had behavioral problems. I was that kid that uh, wouldn't stop talking in class. <laughs> and I always got marked up for just, being a chatterbox, but she said, I really think that more than anything, she needs a place to harness that energy. And so from there, my mother uh, really took heed and signed me up for piano lessons and dance classes and acting classes. And I remember I was in an acting class and we had someone come to do a workshop. What I didn't know was that that workshop was actually an audition to be in a commercial. And two people were selected, myself and another friend who also went off, went on to, you know, pursue a career in theater and so forth. And I remember being on set for the first time. By this time, I think I was 10 years old. And I remember just standing and looking over this ledge and seeing all of the equipment moving around and all of the people. And I thought to myself, I want to do this for the rest of my life. And I still feel that way. You still feel that way. Do you, do you really, cause I love, I love that answer by the way, but do you still, you know, you're out promoting this Christmas movie we'll talk about in a minute. Do you stand in front of a crowd or at a press junket or something and you still have that fire? You do, huh? I do. 
I think what's interesting is that it really is my longest standing relationship. Um, the relationship oh, that I have with my art is my longest standing relationship. And anyone who's in a relationship or has ever been in a relationship knows that it's complicated and it isn't always easy. And I think the thing that I have come to accept is that I love, I even love the parts that I hate about it. That at the end of the day, even when I'm having a bad day inside of it, it, it still is the place that I feel is the truest expression of me. And it's funny because a lot of people don't really believe this, but I really have a part of my personality that's extremely shy. And people think, well, how can you be an actress or a performer and be shy? But the truth is, is that there's a difference between the need for attention and the need to express. And at some point I recognized that, that there was a difference and that I don't actually like attention, but I do have this inherent desire and need to express the gifts that I've been given by God. And so for me, uh, it is, it will always be a great love of mine. And every time I try to leave, <laughs> go do something else. And believe me, I've tried. Um, I'm not <laughs> sure if, if everyone's listening knows, but I was actually the first ever United Nations youth champion for the International Year of Youth. And I, I launched a, a tour where I ended up traveling to 24 countries and doing all of this incredible work and advocacy. And I thought that that was enough to get me to leave. <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, finally, I'm doing something real with my life. I'm doing something that, that matters and has significance. And then at the end of it, I woke up one day and I realized that it wasn't true to me to just pursue this outside of being an artist, that, that at the core, how I did it was just as important as what I did. And I think when we connect our purpose with our passion, that is how we can have a sustainable future. And so for me, it, I know that I love it because even when I try to put it down, I always pick it back up. I mean, should we just end the podcast and go home? Because that that is so, first of all, your your values line up and your story lines up really well with mine. Just really quickly, third grade, Miss Sampson, just, just this, the most, again, beautiful inside and out teacher that I ever had. And she, she said, you could be really good at this. You know, you, you could mm -hmm. learn to write, you could learn to tell stories. You could have a book in our library one day. I remember her telling me that. And, and I just think that God sends us here with stories to tell and our own way of telling them and not just for the purpose of entertainment, although that is important. Obviously there's a market and we need to, to entertain, but at a much deeper level than that, to entertain people in a way that moves them and inspires them and pushes them a little bit to be better, to make better choices, to open their Absolutely. heart up in ways that maybe they weren't before, right? Absolutely. And one thing that that I just really heard in what you were saying is how important it is to speak life over children, that the things that we say, we remember. We are both very far past third grade. Mm -hmm. um, and I think sometimes we really take for granted that the things that we say have deep impact, even to someone as young as a seven-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old. And so for everyone listening, I think it's so important that we realize that our words do have power and that we carry them. And so, you know, we were very fortunate to have people who told us that we could be more than what we were in that moment, that really like launched us just in our minds to be able to see more. And 
in any time that you pursue a career that not a lot of people are doing, and there are times where you doubt yourself. There are times where I, I still experience this, where I have imposter syndrome or I'm fearful of my next move. And it's those times where we, we recall, even on a subconscious level, the things that we have been told. And sometimes that can be the hope that we need to keep going. Sometimes that belief that my mother had in me or that my teacher had in me or that you know my friend had in me is that reminder that it is actually bigger than us and that it isn't always just about us. So I just want to you know encourage everyone that's listening to really mind your words and be careful of the things that you say because we do remember them and they actually have the power to shape someone's future. Yeah, to shape it one way or the other, right? Thank exactly. You for- Thank you for sharing that. I'm I'm curious, you have talked, I'm sure, for thousands of hours about High School Musical, but I want to know if you had years later, with all that you've done since then, and I know that you don't want your, your career at the end of your life to be defined by that, but if you had to, to pull out a single lesson that you learned from that really unbelievable star-making household name kind of experience what would it be? What's what's one lesson that you think you still put in practice today that you pulled from that experience shooting those films? Fame does not fill the void. There's no amount of success. There's no billboard, magazine, or interview that you ever can do that will make you like the parts of yourself that are not healed and whole. As a young person, I wanted to be seen and I wanted to be famous because I thought that it would give me validity. I thought that it would make me matter. And what the success of High School Musical really showed me was that that is absolutely inherently not true. And that all of that, all that success really does, it reveals the parts of you that are whole, but it also shines a light on the parts of you that are broken. And from that experience, that's actually what led me to moving into philanthropy because I was so broken in, in in so many ways, having that much attention really showed me the, the the places where I hadn't really healed my relationship with my family, that I was deeply insecure. And as I was finding myself kind of trying to reach for more and more success, I had this moment where I, I really understood that it would never be enough and that the only way to be truly successful was to actually be of service. And so that's what led me to taking a step away and saying, if I can't like myself without this, then I just don't like myself. (laughs) And that is truly where I am today is, is a person who I now do what I do because I love it, not because I need it. It's just how I want to express myself. But without it, I know that I'm still going to be okay. Fame does not fill the void. That that needs to be on uh, bumper stickers and billboards and t-shirts. <laughs> that is so true. I can't tell you how many times I have encountered people, particularly that that work in my industry as writers or even even public speakers, who I think need that lesson. I think there have been times in my career when I have needed that reminder. So I'm glad that you learned that, and more importantly. I'm so grateful that you're willing to be so transparent about it. You know, if we learn lessons sort of in a vacuum and we're not willing to share them with the world, you know, they have obviously some power and influence for us in our individual lives. But boy, when we get to the microphone and we're willing to share the hard lessons we've learned, that's how we 
we kind of change the world. So speaking of changing the world, our good friend, mutual friend, Aaron Trinian, who has been talking about you nonstop, <laughs> telling me that I needed to meet you, telling me how impressed I would be with you and your work and your message. He has talked a lot about your desire to sort of change the world and in some of your work through the UN. So you mentioned at the beginning um, that opportunity you had. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and sort of what this next season of your life might be? Absolutely. So as I said, having that kind of wake up moment and realizing that service was a place that I wanted to direct my energy, I started a, I called it a foundation, but really it was more of a brand called Gimme Mo. And the idea was to use the fame that I had to leverage and really empower, inspire, and motivate the next generation of young people to believe in themselves and know that anything is possible. And from there, it just so happened that the stars aligned. And the year that I launched Gimme Mo was also the year that the United Nations had launched the International Year of Youth. And I had someone on my team. I always keep young people around me. I just think that they're the greatest agents of change on the planet. And they also keep you culturally relevant. <laughs> and so I had, um, I had someone on my team at the time who I think was 19 years old. And he told me about uh, Youth Day and said, you know, they usually have speakers come. You should do it. And I thought, how? I'm, I'm an actress from High School Musical. Like, what do I have to contribute? Long story short, they said yes. And as I was sitting there, I had no idea that it was the Year of Youth. And I looked and the logo for the Year of Youth was the same as my logo for Gimme Mo. And instead of being excited, I was actually angry. <laughs> I was like, oh, perfect. People are going to think that I stole my logo from the UN. <laughs> and it was really embarrassing. And then fast forward, I had this moment of realizing maybe, maybe this isn't embarrassing. Maybe this is actually synergy or synchronicity. And this is to show me that we're thinking the same thing you know, it was a thought bubble, basically. So mine was mm -hmm. a singular thought bubble and theirs was like a bunch of thought bubbles. And from there, I went home and I just couldn't shake this feeling that there was something more for me. So I wrote a letter, like a dear, dear to whom it may concern. My name is Monique Coleman and I'm an actress. And I basically lent my services and said, I don't know what I could do, but I feel like I could do something to further this idea of dialogue and mutual understanding, which was the theme. And they came back and gave me this title, United Nations Youth Champion. And I appreciated it. I thought it was amazing, but I also thought it wasn't enough. I didn't need a title. I needed an opportunity. And so I created that opportunity with that title. And I launched a six-month global tour with the help of like my actual friends, one of which it became my husband. And we traveled to 24 countries to understand what young people experienced and faced globally. And when I came back, I realized that I was massively overwhelmed and had taken in a lot of information and that I needed to really direct my energy. And so I've spent the last 10 years working with Girl Up, Lollipop Theater, Thirst Project, and organizations that are really centered and focused around youth empowerment. And since then, you know, to speak to what I'm doing now, it's really about integrating and making sure that I still check off the dreams that are dormant within me. So I feel very excited about the work that I've done philanthropically, but I also want to make sure that I don't abandon my artistic dreams as well. And so I do have aspirations to enter the Marvel universe. I 
you know, would love to be on Disney plus and to, you know, play very interesting characters and have kind of this second coming in my career where I, I now feel that I needed that time away to really just grow to love and respect myself and to feel whole and grounded. And now I'm excited to hopefully be launched into a a new level of my career where I can uh, exercise the muscles that I have and, and really become the artist that I've always dreamt of being. I wish, I say this every week, we use Zoom for this. And of course, no one gets to see it, but me and you. But the passion as you talk about these things that matter so much to you just mm. absolutely lights me up. I can't, I can't stop smiling. I would just sit and, and kind of listen to you all day. And again, I think there's some alignment in terms of the sorts of things I've, I have tried to do throughout my career. I speak in a lot of schools and I, I love talking to, in, in particular, like the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade range is sort of my sweet spot when I go out and do visits. And a couple of things you said rang true. A minute ago, you talked about to step back a minute, how much words matter. I, I talked to so many kids who cannot remember the last time an adult said, I believe in you. Think mm-hmm. about that. Think about being a freshman in high school, looking at a stranger who's come to your school, asking that question and saying, I legitimately, Mr. Wright, cannot remember the last time that a that a parent, a sibling, wow. a teacher, a counselor looked me in the eye and said, uh, I believe in you. So I, I'm so glad that you reminded us of, of the power of words. Mm-hmm. And and yes, these these are the change agents. I was speaking at a conference of teenage boys, which was a rowdy mm-hmm. group, about six months ago. And the uh, organizers wanted me to talk about how these, these future leaders were that, future leaders. Mm-hmm. And I stood up on stage and I said, no, you're not. No, what are you waiting for? You don't yes. have to wait to lead, to make a difference. Stop waiting for your turn. Your turn is now. Don't you think? Yes, absolutely. I. It's funny that you say that. We definitely have a lot of, of uh, connection points here because I, I say that all the time, that, that young people are not the leaders of the future. You're, the, you're leaders right now and there, there is no reason to wait. And I think a lot of us, I know myself, I, I spend a lot of time waiting for my life to begin and thinking that there was some other event that was going to, something was going to happen. And then I would know that I was in it and that it had started. And, you know, when you do that, you just, you miss the moment, you miss what it's about right now. And uh, there's so much to learn from young people. And there's just so much to learn by bridging the intergenerational gap. I think we have to be careful and I use this word uh, loosely, but we have to be careful of like fetishizing youth in a sense. There's so much wisdom <laughs> with getting older. I turned 40 last year and this has been the most eye-opening year of my life in the sense of realizing how, how young I am and how much more life I have to live. And I never really saw life after this point. And I think a lot of young people have this sort of cap as to what your imagination can even see for what your life is going to look like. It's like, by this age, I'm going to have that. And then by this age, it's going to be this. And you start to realize that those are actually limitations that in a way, even our dreams can be limitations. And so I really like to remind people that our dreams are, are not given to us because they're meant to be the carrot in front of the horse that you're always chasing. You're actually supposed to catch it and you're supposed to get it. And when you do, that moment is going to show you that you have so many more dreams than you ever even thought were possible. It isn't supposed to be some phantom elusive kind of thing. This is 
your path, your dream is your reality if you wake up and you make a plan and you go for it. And there's no reason to put that off. Yeah. And, and make a plan really jumps out at me in that statement because you you do have to have some sense of the steps that will get you on the dream. Dreams, dreams are great. We, you know, artists live and die by dreams, but those dreams become reality when we put some framework behind them. Here are the things I need to do, the classes I need to take, the auditions I need to go to, the manuscripts I need to write. So there, there do have to be some steps that help to get to the realized dreams. And, you know, talking about you're 40. I just turned 50. So I've got less time left than you do. I've got to get really busy to catch up to the good that you're doing in the world. But I mean, look look at what, you know, the Morgan Freemans and the Clint Eastwoods oh and, and Tony Bennett. I mean, there are artists that are that are producing for six, seven, eight decades. Come on. We got we got a lot of time left, don't we? Absolutely. All right. I want to talk about the movie. We got to talk about the movie. Um, you have a new Christmas movie coming out. Your co-stars Corbin Blue. Tell us a little bit yes. about it, where we can find it, when we'll find it. Well, speaking of dreams, this was the dreamiest experience ever. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I am starring in a Christmas movie with one of my dear friends, and it is going to air on December 3rd on Lifetime. And it literally just couldn't be more perfect in the sense of like art imitating life. Basically, I play a character named Lucy who just kind of gave up her dreams of being a dancer. And there's a this uh, resort called the Winterly that is closing. And Lucy returns to the Winterly and meets up with her old partner, Barrett, and sparks fly and all sorts of things happen. So I, I won't give the, the plot away, but it is a very, very sweet story that I think, especially the fans of High School Musical, uh, who really, you know, came to love Corbin and I as Chad and Taylor. My hope is that after seeing this movie, there becomes a really special place in their heart for Lucy and Barrett. Oh, that's that is so great. What an honor for you. What a treat to be able to be back, you know, in front of the camera with someone who has been a part of your life. I'm I'm sure that you've you've remained in contact and been close friends for for many years. By the way, when did High School Musical, when did that last film come out? What year was that? It was 13 years ago yesterday, I want to say. So it was 2008. Okay. Yeah. So that's been a long time. And these people have been important to you since, right? Very much so. Very much so. I, as a cast, you know, we, we had something really special and still do. And then as fans, I think it's been really beautiful to watch the young people that, you know, grew up with High School Musical that are now in their 20s. And being able to speak at universities is really interesting because it's basically like their childhood walking in, you know, and yeah. 10 years ago, I was, I was showing up at their high school and saying, you matter, you know, you have value. And now to be able to speak to people in their twenties is really incredible as well. In, in terms of showing you that, you know, I was 25 when I did the first movie, 24, you know, and, and it was a lot older than everyone. And to show you that there is still so much time. You don't have to make it as a teenager or even in your 20s. There's so much time for you to achieve the dreams in your heart. So, And I love that you sort of have this sense that, you know, your role as, um, you know, an idol is, is kind of a dangerous word sometimes, but a, but a mentor, someone that, that young people looked up to through the high school musical years, that that role, it doesn't end. It just morphs into something a little bit different. And so your, your messaging 
and your role to inspire those people, it's going to be different because they are adults now. So I I love Mm -hmm. that you kind of recognize that and you're using, continuing to use that that platform. So uh, one more time. December 3rd on Lifetime. And it's called A Christmas Dance Reunion. A Christmas Dance Reunion. Well, I And it's literally all of those things. It's Christmas. And it's, I mean, it's a Christmas dance movie. You, you guys, I can't even. <laughs> I can't. Well, you know, there, there are literally millions of people who wait for Christmas movie season every year. I had the great fortune to kind of be a part of that when one of my books was um, adapted into a film. It took 14 years for one of my novels, Christmas Charts, to finally hit screens a couple of years ago. And it was neat to just to feel the energy of people who have been waiting for so, so long for that season. There's just, there's something, uh, and I know it's maybe not everyone's taste, but I think you have to look pretty hard to find somebody that doesn't enjoy sitting on the couch every night, eating snacks and watching Christmas movies between Thanksgiving and Christmas. There's just, if you want to feel something, you know, after a tough year, after a tough couple of years, if you just want to escape and feel something that just makes you just remember what art can do, uh, what dancing, yes. what music can do, then then watch the film. Yeah, watch the film. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. I've got my last two questions for you. And I'm just, again, so grateful you'd give us some time while you're out promoting the film. And my listeners know these questions are coming because they're a regular part of the gig. So I'm excited to see what you say. As you know, the name of the podcast is Right Where You Are, W-R-I-G-H-T, mm-hmm. a little play on the last name. I want to know, what is that phrase? What are those four words, right where you are? mean to someone like you? I love that question. And for me, it means that the past is behind you. The future is not promised. And this moment is where everything can happen. And so to be present and to know that you are exactly where you need to be. Oh, be present. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. Okay. Years from now, Monique Coleman, long after, you know, this podcast is archived, somewhere up in the cloud. And it's just a, it's a distant memory for people. And, and your life is uh, maybe coming to an end in 50, 60, 70, 80 years, whatever it is. You've got to pick one thing, one thing, one thing that you want people to remember about you, your work, your mission, your art, your journey. What is Monique's one thing? My one thing is that I was a fierce champion for humanity that I led with compassion and love. What do you say to that? I mean, wouldn't, (laughs) oh, wouldn't we all love to be remembered that way? Look, my friend, you are exactly what I expected in every sense. You are so gifted and your voice, it really matters in the world today as as we bridge gaps. There are a lot of bridges that need to be built. And you, I can tell you're a bridge builder. So thank you for that. Thank you for lending your voice, your talents, your time, your art to helping to to heal and to build bridges around the world. I cannot wait to see. I cannot wait to see what the next 10 years holds. And I have to ask, would you run for office, Monique Coleman? Would you? Would you? That's such an interesting question. My husband has been asking me that for, for the last 10 years. So we'll see. There's a possibility. All right. Well, I want to volunteer on your campaign. If you do, all right, you call me. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Thanks so much. Good luck with the film and everything you're doing. And let's, uh, let's stay in touch. All right. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for joining us on Right Where You Are. For more information about Jason and his projects, visit him online at jasonfright.com. 
or on social media at facebook.com slash jfwbooks or on Instagram at Jason F. Wright. And be sure to subscribe to Right Where You Are, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This has been a production of Right Media Productions. Copyright 2021 by Jason F. Wright. All rights reserved.